we're still early enough in the year that we can still talk about New Year's resolutions. I want to talk about our resolution. Like, as a church, I want to talk about our resolution. Here's what we said last week. Take a look right here at the screen. This was our resolution we noted last week. Move closer to Jesus in ordinary life. That's what we launched with. But we then talked about what does it take to motivate a person to actually follow Jesus? Do you, like, browbeat them with the Bible? Well, some people think that's what you do. You just keep hitting them with more guilt. Or you just give them a long list of to, you know, a long to-do list. But I didn't think that was an option either. I don't think that's what we need to be doing. So I said, well, why don't we go back into the book of Acts, let's return to the New Testament, and take a look at what these early Christians did to motivate people to follow Jesus. And what we noted was they told the story of Jesus. And when people heard the story of Jesus, something happened and they did something, which led us to this as our goal. I want us to hear the gospel as told in the first sermon so that we're motivated to move closer to Jesus in ordinary life. That's what we want to do. We want to hear the story they told so we are motivated. That's the goal. We're looking at five sermons. We're looking at the first one this morning, Acts chapter 2. Then we're looking at Acts 3 where Peter gives a sermon to the Jerusalem leaders. Then we're going to go to Acts chapter 10 where uh, Peter gives a sermon to Cornelius, the first Gentile convert. Then we'll move to Paul. And we'll go to Paul in uh, uh, Pisidian Antioch. Then from there... We'll go to Paul in Athens. Those are five main sermons. Then we'll look at three sermon summaries. That one will be Peter in front of the Jerusalem leaders. It will be Paul in Lystra and Paul in Thessalonica. It'll be a total of eight sermons, three of them summaries. If you're wondering, what, where could I find those? Like I see them on the screen. You can go to our website, east10th.org slash the first sermons. That's the main page for this sermon series. And there you can see that list of sermons. Okay? All right, that's where we're going. So where we start this morning is we start with the book of Acts. Chapter 2, we launch into Peter's first sermon there in Jerusalem, the first time that, that the gospel was proclaimed in public. That's where we're going to begin. Acts chapter 2, we pick up with verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews... And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, as promised, this is a long series. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to stop right there. That's all we're going to do in the first sermon. Acts chapter 2. Three verses. Now there I see one word repeated twice that's really important. It's going to be the cornerstone for everything we do for, the, for this message. One word, two times. And that's when Peter introduces, starts his introduction and references this. It's a bit of an odd way to start the sermon. Here it is twice in verse uh, that should, yeah, verse 14. Let me explain this to you. That's an odd way to start the sermon. Let me explain this. Then in verse 16, this is what was spoken. So to even understand what Peter is saying, we've got to understand what this is. He has introduced the first proclamation of the gospel by starting, by, to, uh, starting to explain this. 
And if that's all we had, we wouldn't know what this is. So we're going to have to go backwards to understand what this is. There will be a constant theme in this series. We'll be doing a lot of going backwards. So this morning we don't go too far. We start with Acts chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Take a look. Here it is. We'll pick up here and we'll take a look at what in the world this is. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under the heaven, uh, under heaven. And when they heard this sound, remember that sound of wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We'll drop down the end of verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. You see what this is? This is the presence and power of God moving among the disciples, manifesting itself in both wind and fire and tongues. The presence and power of God are being manifest. The Spirit of God is moving, and these people see it, know it, feel it. And Peter has to explain this, this presence and power of God, this, and then he'll go on to talk about what all this is. But this, that he has to explain, is the presence and power of God. And that's going to tell us a lot. It will have, it will tell us exactly, uh, tell us something for our day that we need to hear, just like it was something in their day they needed to hear. That's a really important idea. But first, we've got to go a little farther back. So, first thing we want to do is we want to pick up that first thing Pete and Luke does to describe this presence of God. Remember what, what is going on? What this, what, what part of this they're experiencing? He says it's wind. Take a look. I just want to make sure we understand. In verse 2, he says, It's a sound like the blowing of a violent wind come from heaven. You know, Luke could have used a lot of other descriptions, but here he describes it as wind. That's important because Luke would have been trained in the Old Testament Scriptures. And so when he is describing the scene, when he's describing this, he describes it with wind. And wind's a really important, is important imagery in the Old Testament. It tells us something about important moments with God's people. I want to take a look at one of the most famous in the Old Testament. It's Ezekiel 37. And in Ezekiel 37, we have this valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel has a vision of something happening to those dry bones. Here it is. We're just going to take a section of Ezekiel 37. Here's what Ezekiel says, verses 1 through 9. I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And the Lord asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what 
the Sovereign Lord says to these bones, I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones, well, they came together, bone to bone, and I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to and say to it, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. It's a vision of God's people, a people exiled, judged by God because of their rebellion. And now Ezekiel has a vision of those people exiled because of rebellion, coming back to life. And the Hebrew word for breath is the same one for wind. And so the translators here have to determine what God is saying here. And so you could also say wind when it says breath. It's a vision of wind, of air moving into something dead so it comes back to life. It's a vision of God renewing His people. Jesus will pick up this same imagery of wind when he tells Nicodemus about the new birth that will happen when the gospel goes out and God brings someone back to life. Here it is, John 3, 8. This is what Jesus says. He says this to Nicodemus, The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. If you have an NIV, you'll note that on spirit, there's a little asterisk, and that asterisk is a footnote, and that footnote says the Greek for spirit is the same as that for wind. So God had a plan that one day wind, just like His breath, would move onto His people, and it then would move inside them, and they'd come back to life. So in this moment, when God has raised His Son, He's now ascended to heaven, and now that message is going out. Guess what's showing up? Wind is showing up. Breath is showing up. It's telling us something. There's something happening on this day, in this moment, that is special. This isn't happening every day. That vision of something coming back to life is happening, not somewhere in the future, it's happening right now. So here's how I'd summarize it this way. When Luke uses wind to describe the activity happening on the day Peter preaches the first sermon, he's saying that God is fully present in that moment. There's no question. The full weight of the prophecy of God bringing His people back to life, it's happening right there in all of this activity. This activity that makes people look drunk. This. It's all happening right here important. Fire is another image. Fire is another image. We've got wind and then fire. Tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. It's important. Could have described that a number of ways, but Luke uses fire. And so if we go back even farther into the Old Testament, even before Ezekiel, we see in the story, the key story of Israel, the Exodus, God bringing His people out of Egypt into freedom over and over again. Fire is part of the story. Take a look at three quick examples. Three quick ones. Here it is. 
When it first starts, these, uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, this is where Moses is called. Take a look at how fire shows up here. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Holy ground. Framed by fire. God fully present in the defining moment of His people. Take a look here. Next one. Exodus 13, 21-22. This is after they have been rescued from Egypt. We read this account. By day the Lord went ahead of them. This is His people. In a pillar of smoke to guide them. And on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of smoke by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Fire was present with the people as the people were rescued, as they were redeemed, as they were brought out of slavery. All of these are descriptions of what we talk about when we talk about what Jesus does for His people now through the Gospel, through His death, burial, and resurrection. All of those images. Fire is key to the Exodus. And then last, Exodus 19, 17-18. This is when they're receiving the Ten Commandments. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Interesting, Acts 2, tongues of fire came to rest on them. Luke here uses imagery to hyperlink this whole experience back to the defining story of God's people when they were rescued from Egypt. And so Luke wants us to be keyed in to the importance of this moment. When you hear wind and you see fire, you think about God present. Here's how I would summarize everything going on with the fire. When the tongues of fire rests on the disciples, it's a declaration that the same God who is with His people in the days of Moses is also fully present in this moment through His Spirit. And so here, as wind and fire are manifested on this day when the first sermon is going to be preached, Luke is signaling to us and to anyone that's ever read the book of Acts that the God who did all the miraculous things in the Old Testament is now about to do something miraculous on this day through this story. So that's the presence of God. But there's power. There was power. There was power, there was power here. Because when the Spirit comes, these people are able to speak in languages they never learned. They didn't have an app teaching them another language. The Spirit of God enabled them. And this is key because Luke wants us to link this to a promise Jesus gave His disciples right before He ascended to heaven. And He wrote it there at the end of Luke. Luke 24. Here's what Jesus told the disciples. He said in verse 48-49, You are My witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what My Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And when, and when they stand there in that room, 
and wind and fire are being manifested, they are clothed with power and able to speak another language. This is key. All of that is happening. All of that is embedded in that one word, this. This is what the prophet Joel told us about. What's this? It's the presence and power of God in that moment. It's, it's what was happening in the days of old. Now it's happening on this day. It tells us we better pay attention to whatever is going to happen next. Now the key for all of it, the key point, the reason I take you through nearly ten minutes of Scripture is to get you to right here, this point. This moment, full of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit reveals that the story of Jesus is the story that brings salvation to the world. There were a lot of other stories flying around the ancient world. There were stories of Zeus and you could say Jupiter. There were stories about how Rome came into existence. There were myths and legends. There were stories of Diana, and then you'd go and you would be initiated into this particular cult, or you'd go and you'd be initiated into the cult at that temple. There were stories all over the ancient world of the gods and goddesses. But Luke wants to make it very clear that of all the stories in all the world, there is one story. There's only one story where God shows up with His full presence and power. There's only one place where the Spirit of God is being manifested to give the full backing of what is to be said next. And that is this sermon. This story. This is the story. And because it is the story, the full backing presence and power of God is behind whatever Peter is about to say. When the, when the priests would stand up to tell the stories of the other gods and goddesses. They didn't have the power and presence of the God of Israel behind it. It was this story. It means, it means that there was no other story that would matter any more than this story. Do you see how Jesus and His story is elevated in this moment? So when Peter says this, he's referencing and revealing the importance that this is the story. Which means we better start paying attention. We better hear this is the story. Now that's going to bring us to application. Like that's where I want us to go. Because I'm asking myself this question as I move into what in the world this has to do with my life. What story am I paying attention to the most? You know, it would seem that, well, in the ancient world they did have myths and legends. But in our day, we don't really have many myths and legends. None. We're not going to any temple dedicating ourselves to any particular god. We're more advanced than that, right? No, we tell ourselves stories all the time. You ever watched an Apple unveiling of a new product? When Apple unveils a new product? I don't know if you've ever seen an Apple event. It is a well-told story. Steve Jobs is famous for telling the story when they unveil a new phone. He wants to tell it a particular way. Facebook is always telling you a story. Every time they have a developer event, they are telling a story. You know, every time you watch a shampoo commercial, they're telling you a story. Do you know when there's breaking news on, on, on the 24-hour news, when CNN has breaking news, do you know that they're trying to tell you a story? 
We're always being told stories to tell us what is important, what life is really about, what is the purpose of all this. There are, we are constantly being bombarded with stories. You know, Facebook's story for you is the most important thing in the world is that you are connected. That's the most important story, that you are connected. You know what they're doing when, when Matthew McConaughey's driving that Lincoln through the mountains with perfection, no blemish, well, they're telling you that if you want to be Matthew McConaughey, you need a Lincoln. That's what you need. And you don't need one from five years ago. You need the new one. That's what you need. Because that's going to make you happy. And if you put the particular shampoo in your hair, in the shower, just the way that model's doing it, well, then you also will have wavy hair that flows perfectly and everyone will think you're beautiful. That's the story they're telling you. You know what the most important thing is, is to look good. That's what they're telling you. I, we could just keep doing this over and over. And by the way, this is what preachers do. They come up with a really generic example and then give you all the real life examples and they can fill up like 10 minutes. So, you think I memorize this stuff? No, I'm like looking at Mark thinking, what shampoo does he use? And then I think, let me use shampoo. That'll be a great example. See, that's what I do. That's it. No secret. All right. <laughs> I need to talk to kids. We're going to get a camera so we can pan over to you. <laughs> I'll just put a camera right there. Just right Okay. But do you see the point? What I'm saying, though, is we are always being told stories. But if what we are finding in Acts 2 is true, there is only one story that is life-changing, that will turn a drunkard to a sober man. Only one. There's only one that would take someone overdosing on opioids to a person that is clean and responsible. Only one story. That's the story of Jesus. There's only one story that can take a person from the depths of despair and move them to a person of joy. One story. That's the story of Jesus. And so that's why I'm asking myself, what story am I paying attention to the most? Because I'm hearing a lot of stories. You hear a lot of stories. I'm always being bombarded with stories. But which one's grabbing my attention? I often wonder, do I really believe what Paul wrote when he wrote this? Here it is. This is pretty bold. Paul wrote this in Colossians 1, 16-17. For in Him, that's Jesus, all things were created. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. In Jesus, all things hold together. Do I really believe that? Sometimes when I'm really struggling, you would think that I think that all things are held together by our political system. If we have, if democracy works, then it's all going to be okay. Let me just be very clear. I, I'm not going to give you my opinion on the cap, what happened at the Capitol this week. But I will tell you this. That if everything would have been shut down and the America would have been taken over, I don't care which direction you want to go on that. You know we would have still been okay in the kingdom of God? I just want to be really clear about this. Now, would life have gotten difficult maybe? Yeah, life could have gotten difficult. I don't know. I mean, this could, could life get difficult under a Biden administration? Yeah, sure it could. Could it, could it get difficult if, if a, a particular Republican gets voted in four years from now? Well, sure it could. What I'm saying is everything doesn't hold together by the political system. You know it doesn't hold together in France either. You know, it doesn't really matter who the president of France is in the end. In the new creation, we will not be talking about the American president. I just want to be clear, in case you all wondered what we'd be talking about. 
We will be talking about the glory and the greatness of this person who was slain and came back to life and is now the center of the universe. So when you tell the story of the person in which everything holds together, you have the power and presence of God and the full backing behind it. That's what you have. So if in Jesus everything holds together, I really got to ask myself, am I paying attention to that person more than anything else? Please hear me. I think that our roles as citizens makes a big difference. That's part of who you are as an American citizen. So pay attention to it and do it wisely. And pray for your leaders. But do not ever think that in anything else it all holds together. It is only in Jesus. So we need to be very clear about that. Because we are being sold different stories all the time. And there are companies paying millions and millions of dollars to tell you otherwise. To tell you a different story than that one, the one Paul's telling. So we want to be very clear on that. So we root our hope there. And we pay attention to Jesus and his story. So no surprise, I'm going to take that to a next step. Here it is. Elevate Jesus and give him more of your attention this week than you did last. So I have no idea how much you paid attention to Jesus last week. I, I really don't. If you were like me, uh, Wednesday, not so much. Not so much, particularly somewhere around the 5 o'clock hour. My attention was elsewhere. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about that capital thing. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. It was Wednesday, right? Was it Wednesday? Well, that would have been, okay. Like Jason didn't even know. He, he didn't actually watch it. He was just making it up. No, no, no. Okay. So I don't know where you were. You may never pay attention to Jesus. Or, like, this is your hour to pay attention to Jesus. All I'm saying is, take whatever you did last week and add to it. So if you're the person who reads, like, the Bible for an hour a day, up it. Or maybe you need to add some prayer rather than more Bible reading. The point is to put Jesus in front of your eyes to elevate your attention more this week than last week. So you see how we all can do this. This is There's no judgment on wherever you find yourself. Just take wherever you are and increase it. And over time, his story will become the most important story for us. Because in the end, if Paul's right, everything in the universe will hold together through him. His gospel, his story. Hence, that's why I want to spend so much time on it. Because in Him, it all holds together. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank You for this story. We thank You that on that day, You showed up in Your presence and Your power through Your Spirit. And that tells us that this must have been the story You wanted to go into the world. You don't put Your backing, Your Spirit behind anything else like that. And so, please, would You help us in real life, I mean right where we are, where we find ourselves at work or at home, and help us elevate Jesus. If we're just in a piece of machine, cutting logs somewhere in the middle of nowhere, elevate your son for us. If we are bored at home, doing very little, elevate your son Jesus. And may that transform us so that the goal of this year closer to Him would be a reality right where we find ourselves. Right there in real life. And so we're going to have to have Your Spirit move us in that direction as we hear and come into contact with the story of Your Son. So now we pray all of it in the name 
of him who is currently King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And we look forward to the day when we will declare him as such in the new creation. And together we pray. Amen.